Welcome to episode four of the Protected Grubbing Podcast. On today's episode, we sit down with flavorite Stefan Krauscher to discuss what goes into growing high-quality, high-tech tomatoes under glass. Hi, Sam. Yeah, so my name is uh, Stefan Krauscher, and I'm originally from Germany. I am. I came to Australia about 10 years ago. Um, I always had like a um, an interest in plants and in growing. Um, I started um, in Germany with um, um, yeah, plant physiology, uh, back then. And um, when I came to Australia, I started studying agriculture and technologies with um, NMIT and Epping, and they had an association um, with the La Trobe University, and it was a really good way to get into the industry. Not long after this, I've, I've met uh, Saskia Blanche. He was, she was also part of the PCA many years back. And um, so about 10 years ago or so, I joined the first PCA as like a student helper. And that really opened the pathway to the industry. In terms of your professional history, you've been about the traps a little bit. Can you run us through how you've got to where you are now? Absolutely. Yeah, look, um, um, when I started studying, I, I published like my research in the um, PCA magazine. Um, and so I started working with Brown Grow back then, really looking into like the qualities of, of Koya. Once I've done that, I've, I've traveled the world to, to Canada and to Germany and Netherlands and really looking further into like the properties of Koya. Um, working a little bit as a, as a salesman, really, um, because I, I knew what I was talking about, but uh, I figured quite quickly that, that sales is not my forte. And I, I really, really wanted to be the guy who was, who was doing the growing. Now in, in saying this, my childhood dream was really, um, relating to medicinal cannabis. So I, I, um, had a friend of mine, she was suffering under cancer and, um, she she had the opportunity uh, to take medicinal cannabis back then and and it really like opened like a little bit of a pathway um seeing that medicinal cannabis can heal people mm. so rather than being a dodgy backyard grower I, mm. I i really wanted to pursue like a professional career and i thought like what's what's the best way to really get into this and um yeah finding that really the tomato growers um are Probably, and I might don't want to step anybody on the toes here, but <laughs> tomato growers, um, I, I think are really good in planning and there's a lot of research done on the, on the way tomatoes can be grown. So yeah, I started with Sundrop Farms, um, about <laughs> nine years ago, or eight years ago. Um, and I worked for Sundrop for quite some, quite some time. We, we did some trials with soft fruit, um, mainly strawberries, and that led me to, to work for Perfection Fresh in Cabolcha. Um, working there with some really great growers alongside and, um, I did that quite some time until finally medicinal cannabis became available mm. and, um, proudly enough, I, I think I was in the first three growers in Australia who were legally growing medicinal cannabis in Queensland. So I did this for quite some time as well. Unfortunately, um, the green rush as they call it were, were not holding, um, holding on and. Uh, I had to find, I had to find uh, my feet once again. And, um, so I've been Nova's Flavorite for the past three years, um, going full circle back to the tomato crops and yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting how very many and varied the industries are. And as you say, tomatoes are such a big part of the Australian protected cropping industry. It 
and you've you've bounced around to some of the biggest and best. So you've obviously got uh, some good knowledge under your belt. In terms of sustainability, that's a sort of big touch word that we've been jumping on. And I know it's something that you're very passionate about. Where do you see sustainability for protected cropping? And it's it's obviously a big part of Flavorite's business model. Is that something that you're seeing develop further in the industry? Absolutely. And I think I go like right back back to my studies, looking on what agriculture and horticulture um, has to go through in order to provide nutritious food. And um, they realized quite quickly that the protected cropping industry is probably... Um, well, not probably, is like right up there in order to be one of the most sustainable industries. Um, the way we the way we grow allows us to recirculate water, allows us to recirculate nutrients uh, with absolute minimal loss. Um, mm. The same applies to like you know pest and disease pressure. Now we are able to introduce uh, insects in order to to fight the bad insects. So. We are controlling, we're controlling all these parameters, um, which gives us like a more um, efficient output, but also therefore a more sustainable output. Uh, mm. Now with, with new emerging technologies, we can drive this even more um, efficient and even more sustainable, meaning um, there's there's lots of technology out there that will allow us to, to use alternative products. And I mm. think even if we're talking about plastics, um, plastic use within the industry, there is, there's more and more products coming out of there, out of the woods, which um, which are going to break down quicker. Mm. Now it's a bit of a catch twenty two because we're in the early years. Um, some of that material unfortunately breaks um, maybe too quick. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, yeah, no, I think that we're we well positioned and I'm, I'm, I'm well, well and truly excited to see what the future brings. Yeah, definitely. We'll we'll touch on the technology piece a little bit later on, but. Um... I thought you've had such a great career experience. I wondered if you could take us through a day in the life of a grower of, you know, high quality tomatoes under glass. It's something that potentially not a lot of people are exposed to. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question and, and where to start. I think um, I need to refer to a few of my previous growers and um, consultants. If you would go and create a checklist on what we should do on a daily basis, you'd actually go a little bit insane <laughs> because um, we're trying we're trying to capture we're trying to capture um, the way the plant grows on a daily basis, and and our objective our our aim is to steer the plant into a direction where we get maximum productivity. Now, while we're trying to read the plants. Um, it's not always that easy. So the the day of of a life is really it starts early early with the sunrise. Uh, in the afternoons, the greenhouses can get quite hot. So we're starting with the sunrise, trying to be there in first 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 thing in the morning, and really trying to read the crop. Now the crop really changes on a daily basis depending on your outside conditions. So to, to tomatoes in particular are very quickly to to respond on. To respond on on how the outside can responding on, on the outside conditions, meaning that like the leaves can be up and they can be praying and asking for help, or mm. they're giving us a, a signs of, of of strength or weakness. Now then, it's, it's on us to to counteract or to work in uh, in harmony with the plants in order to steer them into the right direction. And and we have lots of tools in order to do that. Um, for example, like the vents, 
the windows and the, and the greenhouse um, effectively is our natural cooling capacity. The more we open the windows, the more airflow we get, and we can we can steer the plant into the right direction. So in saying this, growing and reading the plant is is one pivotal part, but the other part is um, the people who are working in the greenhouse. Now, without them, the work can't be done. And uh, the the fascinating part about greenhouse growing is that um, we know exactly how many plants we have in the greenhouse. Like uh, to the to the plants, and mm. um, meaning is, is I have full control. I know exactly how many plants I need to have and how much production I can get out of this. Now that can only be managed if if um, my team is really playing along. So sometimes I refer to myself a little bit like a soccer coach because we mm. have we have we have people in the crop who are you know pruning the plant to a certain rule. Um, we have to people who are layering the crop, um, and then we have people who are like planting or deleafing and picking, and then everything needs to work together in harmony. And it, it's really um, it's layering. It's really the layering of of different people, and making sure that there's a really nice and steady workflow. On top of that, then you have of course um, the harmony of the people too. So you need to create an environment where you make sure that people are really coming back and really enjoy the work. Um, we need to be we need to be honest like agriculture and horticulture work is, is tough work and as I mentioned before the temperatures are warm so it's not for everyone and mm. um, it's seasonal work too so you have a natural flow of people coming and, and going but back to your question really so the natural day of a grower is assessing the plant and then assessing the workload and making sure that the the work is getting done because plants don't stop growing, and neither do we, which is one of my favorite sayings, <laughs> is um, we we need to stay on top of that workload. It's not like uh, somebody in a production facility and says, oh, you know what, I come back tomorrow. No, what you haven't done yesterday or what you're not doing today, you have to do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And um, so you, the workload never really stops. And so this, this constant growing is a little bit like the lifeline on a monitor. Uh, it's mm. not a flat line. It's I mean, it's not a flat line. You know, the greenhouse is empty, and then there's no production. And there's no production. There's no kilos, and there's no dollars, and no one gets paid. Mm. So it's this 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 ongoing cycle. Um, it never stops growing. Never stops. Um, mm. Once once people have been assessed and the plant has been assessed, well, then it's all about everything else around it. Meaning, is your water available? Do you have enough fertilizer? Does the fertilizer need to be adjusted? Um, and you have again different teams who are looking after that maintenance. For example, um, you know, as a pivotal part of every greenhouse, because you have so many screws, pieces, and bitses, bitses and pieces um, who are who, are, who can break. Um, so making sure that everything is running at all times is is very important. So we are on call twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five days a year. Now, IPM. So integrated pest management plays a very important part, um, ensuring that you know that the the greenhouse is not being taken over by by whitefly or any other diseases. So making sure that that this balance is right. So as you can see, like the, the this is just the, the 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 categories, and within those categories, you then have each subcategories. You know, in order to get all these the outcomes, you need to make sure that you know. Um, other 
the water is, is is the water according to what we're actually wanting to do. So you have people then going back and completely rectifying and checking everything we're asking to get done. Mm. And and this is just then for one greenhouse. You have multiple greenhouses. You multiply that workload. And then some, sometimes you say, oh, you just have one hectare. Or you say, oh, you have 40 hectares. Well, it doesn't really matter because the workload is the same. But sometimes it's just about about um, size. Mm. Definitely. And I think it's such a different mentality for what people in the general public and the elsewheres of agriculture even understand about growing and what a farmer is and what a grower is. A lot of them still have the sort of mentality of it's an old bloke on a tractor in the field covered in grease. Whereas in reality, when you're talking about these sort of high tech, high production, really intensive um, production facilities, it's a very different um, guy, kettle of fish. And it's almost as much a people management skill as it is to a crop management skill, especially when you get to the sort of head grower level. I love that you raised this because um, many people are when they say, oh, what do you do? And I say, oh, I grow tomatoes. <laughs> and, and, and you know, and, you know, on, on our side, we have like over a thousand people, and mm. you're like, "Oh, what do you do?" Like, you know, you, you know, we just grow tomatoes. Like, <laughs> like it's people um, cannot really like um, imagine the the sheer scale of of um, the impact it has. And what we always say is like, you know, there's a lot of input, um, but because we have a lot of input, you have a lot of output. The farmer outdoors, he he puts the seeds into the ground and he waits and the rain is coming and and he produces two to three kilos of tomato per meter square over one year. Now we grow anything up to 80 kilos per meter square. So you you see the input is so much higher, but therefore the output is also so much higher. Mm. And um, yeah, like it's way more than just um, driving around with a tractor. And sometimes I wish I could could just do that, but it's, it's... it's a lot of um, project management and there's a lot of day-to-day chores to really to make sure that these the workload is um, getting done so i think if, if you ask me like well you know what is my day-to-day life i mean 50 percent of it is probably problem solving and that's on a day-to-day basis and then you, of course you have that long-term plan um, as i said like for example even when the crops are coming to an end like you can't have an empty greenhouse you mm-hmm. you really need to make sure that and are your new seedlings um, already planted? How do they get there? Um, what does the pullout look like? How much hygiene needs to be uh, um, included? And then, yeah, sustainability, you know, you name it. Uh, you could pull the thread on that jumper for as long as you like. And as you say, there's a whole range of tasks to be done all the way from high level sort of strategic planning over the next sort of five, 10 all the way down to individual plants and even within each plant, individual, you know, stems. It's it's a really fascinating industry to get into just because of the length and breadth of detail that you need to be across. And I think that's something that also sort of gets lost in the wash is that when you step into an agricultural role, one of the sort of things that I say is there's, you almost can take any external role or job title out there and put the term agriculture in front of it and that job will exist. So you can have, you know, agricultural communication specialists. You can have agricultural microbiologists. You know, the length and breadth of jobs within agriculture is is almost limitless. And I think it's it's such a good industry to get into because at the end of the day, you're doing something really good and really important, providing people with food. And I think that's a, a really uh, interesting place. And I think the more people who know stories like yours, the more 
people will appreciate what goes into growing food because it is a quite a difficult thing to do. Yeah, I fully agree. Um, I've been talking to one of my friends about this who has like a um, marketing background and he's considering to go into um, the agricultural industry. And he says, oh, look, I've, I've always worked with power tools in the past. I'm not really sure if this is going to be my forte. And, but the, um, you know, the, the, um, the facts are obvious. Our population is um, increasing very quickly. And um, I think we, we will require more outside knowledge um, in order to sustain this really fast-paced growing industry. So, um, yeah, you name it. For example, marketing is a, is, mm. is a good one. Um, IT um, in particular, I think totally um, underrated to see, like, in terms of, again, how much technology can be integrated into our greenhouses now. Most of the mm. sensor, sensor data um, goes through, like, you know, huge, vast amounts of network um, a small like the farm can just not just the same that so you, you need to have like an an whole it team in order to you know to to battle something like this oh definitely and i think as you say the marketing side alone if you just dig into that it's there's so much opportunity there from not only from an industry perspective in terms of marketing our crops better i think that's something that we've been doing you know we've, there's an opportunity to improve there but from a personal point of view and a professional point of view stepping into an agricultural marketing role, say, you will see such accelerated growth just because we're dying for people with those skills. You step into that role and you'll very quickly see how far you can go within that that industry. And it's, it's, it's really exciting to have people step into agriculture with these skills. And as you sort of mentioned, IT is a big growing sector that I'd like to jump into a little bit more. But yeah, it's fascinating and it's it's something that is a really big opportunity for people, particularly looking for high quality jobs around the place. I think agriculture is really where it's at. You mentioned technology. Now this is a big old can of worms. Uh, can you run us through some of the tech that you are running within the greenhouse and, and some of the challenges you're, you're solving with technology? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I think we, I'm going back here in my very early years, um, you know, giving Sundrop a good old pet. Um, on the shoulder, like if Sundrop Farms, for example, um, has been able to desalinate water, produce fresh water in heat purely with uh, technology and feeds in a, in greenhouse autonomously, mm -hmm. um, makes it independent um, to to grow in a saline desert. So technology, um, even if you use our iPhones um, crop registration data, I don't really know where to start. I think um, if if we just look at some of the tools we we can use nowadays, um, for example, we use um, a what is called a growing scale. The growing scale is nothing else than a scale, but it it converts the data or it converts the weight of a plant into a graph, which allows us to track how much the plant effectively is drinking, well, in you know, plant physiological terms, transpiring. Mm. Or and if um, by by tracking this data, we can then make very accurate decisions whether the plant needs to be watered or not. So again, it takes a lot of of this guesswork away. Um, allows us to 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 grow um, with a scientific approach. So rather than guessing on how much the plant needs to to drink or how much the plant yeah will require we can make um we can make calculated decisions 
and and that that really this this technology like in terms of high tech growing goes into all facets. Um, mm. Meaning we we have we have meters who are like um, you know can effectively read the plant temperature. Plant temperature is different to the actual greenhouse temperature. Now that can relate into into to plant stress. Um, yeah, it's 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 a big field. I I, I don't really know where, like where, where where to start. Well, why don't we go to what kind of technologies are just coming into play into your greenhouse? Is there anything exciting coming down the pipeline that you're really looking at? Look, I think um, what I'm really excited about is this more um, autonomous AI-driven decisions. Mm-hmm. So many of our, um, as I said before, like the the steering of of a crop is is us reading the crop. Now, us reading the crop really can also be um, can be transferred into numbers. For example, if the leaf length is um, increasing or decreasing, or if the stem diameter of a plant increases or decreases, that gives us signals and signs of either strength or weakness, or whether the plant is more vegetative or generative. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we're measuring those those parameters with a caliper or with a with a ruler. Um, based on this this information, we can then manipulate the the, the greenhouse conditions. Now there's a pattern within. So rather than us doing this, um, AI could capture this information and, and effectively drives the decision. And it takes a lot of, of the guesswork or the emotional side out of it. Many times I find myself, if I'm in a very good mood, uh, looking at the plants that I'm, I'm really happy about what I'm seeing. Mm. Um, and vice versa, if I don't feel really well, I might not be impressed with the crop I'm growing. So um, again, it, it takes a little bit of the the emotional side out of it. With 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 crops like tomatoes, who are very um, um, yeah, where, again, where there's a lot of research being done, allows us to make um, better decisions. So, I think AI will play a massive part um, in our future technology part. And then we're talking robots um, now. You know, people might be worried and say it's going to cost us workplaces. No, it won't. Um, I think we're still very far away and we need a lot of people who are managing the robots and we're working in, in conjunction with the robots. So robots will never take our spot, um, but they will make our life much easier, um, whether it's, you know, heavy lifting or purely, um, again, data collection. Um, we're talking, for example, the, the forecasting of, of um, our produce. Now, there's a very simple way. It's just you go into the rows and you start counting tomatoes and you put them on the scale and you multiply it by the plants you have and you get a number. But there's a lot of variability and variance within and all of a sudden your data is skewed by 10, 15%. And mm. if you grow, you know, hundred thousands of kilos, then that 10 to 15% can make make a big impact. So uh, again, this is, is, is something where um, where technology can aid us to make better decisions. Now, that that better this better information with that information that can be translated better, and we can we can forecast better on actually what we're going to sell. Yeah, and I think as you sort of mentioned, it's not it's going to aid decision making, particularly over the short time horizon. It's not going to replace human labor in any meaningful sense over the next five ten years. I think scouting is one of the big opportunities that we're seeing would be a, a perfect fit for, as you say, that AI robotics automation. 
I think having an autonomous drone going up and down the crops, counting crops, looking for, for issues and matching that to a really competent AI model, that alleviates a lot of workload for a lot of people. It takes so much time to do that. So um, yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting place and I think it's going to take some tuning to get those models to work correctly. Um, but yeah, it's such an opportunity for, for our industry and to make lives easier for everyone. Yeah, amazing. I mean, even in the last PCA we I've been to um, on the conference, the technology which was published on, on the conference uh, where fruit fly can be detected uh, depending on, on their, um, I think, on the vibration of the wings, if I correct, yeah. if I remember that correctly. So I, I think um, if this information can be translated to other pest and disease, um, again, the more information we have, um, mm. the better decisions we can make and be going full circle here in terms of sustainability, meaning is I might, I might spot some white flies, but if I actually know the real quantity because and where it is, I can then localize, um, I mean, act and, for example, remove leaves um, into mm. bins compared to um, spraying um, additional pesticides, which, which may not be really needed. And you know this is this is the problem in in in, in agriculture that many times we're we're just doing something for the sake of you know yeah. so there's a lot of farmer rules and say oh you, but you better do it this way because we're doing it that way and we've always been doing it that way but mm. if if we know exactly um, what the problem is now then we can target it better and and again it, that relates in the whole like in our thinking was growing like the more information we have the better decisions we can make. And um, yeah, with with data that that allows us then to to capture that. Oh, definitely. And I, as as you say, the the sound thing is a whole nother layer. We as growers use our sort of eyes and ears and sort of the perceptions we have to monitor the crops, but we're discounting multiple spectrums of lights. You know, audio frequencies. You know, there's a whole heap of sensors that we're not using that could be put on a robot or put you know remote sensing throughout the crop that will you know allow us to enhance our decision making tools through um tools and systems that we physically cannot do so i think there's there's so much upside and so much research that um needs to go on in this space and it could offer us some really novel really interesting solutions yeah i think like you mentioned one really good one here again lights um it's it's the we have plenty of natural light but it depends where where you grow and it really depends what you're targeting now with these roaring energy prices many people go like how can you ever afford this but it's also a little bit of um like what what is the produce and what is the customer uh, willing to to buy and um I, again i hope with better technology um you know lights will only become more energy efficient then maybe we can then again ta target better on what we're um, what we're trying to do and that ties into sort of the broader business case argument that you you hear a lot particularly around sustainability is how much does it cost to move to sustainability how much does it cost to implement these high-tech robotic systems there's a, an argument to be made you know there's opportunity cost in terms of not moving over or not becoming sustainable and i think having a, a, a really tight sort of business acumen and a holistic view of some of these technologies and, and issues allows a, a more sophisticated, more detailed discussion of those problems um, from a business sense. 
changing gears a little bit, you you quickly mentioned how you've you've done a bit of travel and you've got a lot of international experience. Is there anything that you're seeing overseas that you know Australian growers could benefit from, or where do you see the Australian uh, growing industry in in terms of a global context? Uh, I think that's a great question. I need to think about this for a bit because it it depends what market you're looking at. I think I I am and still am and was fascinated by by Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, I think their their resources are much lower. So also the the climatic conditions over there, are, you know, it's more humid. So it depends really on what what crops you're targeting on growing. But Asia specifically, I think, is a very roaring market. Um, the The technology, however, is not quite there yet. I think for for such a small country, we're living in um, our level of of expertise is is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm originally from Germany. I was born on the three border point next to the Netherlands and and Belgium. And um, Netherlands, I think, has um, the highest greenhouse area, um, high tech greenhouse area. Now. We all know that they they have the the most expertise over there, but again, like the people I've been working with from the Netherlands are um, are super welcoming, and the consultants I've been working with, absolutely fascinating, and it's great to 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 share this knowledge with within the industry. And um, yeah, it's 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 ridiculously funny how how quickly information um, mm. within the industry is actually traveling. So. Because the industry is um, actually quite small still, um, therefore the players within the industry are are, are really well known. Mm. C- Canada was was quite fascinating for me um, because it's quite cold over there. Mm. Um, the again the use of lights was really high and and, and the demand um, uh, or the the, the pr- prices for produce slightly varied again because again lots of you know, more energy is needed, and but people are also willing to to pay the price. So, mm. um, yeah, I guess it really depends, like what what um, yeah, what 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 country we're looking at. Yeah, it's it's really interesting from from an industry perspective where where I'm sitting. The amount of interest we have from internationals, and you mentioned from you know Asia in particular, we've got South Koreans really investing in Australia. We've got Canadians coming into Australia. We've obviously got the sort of Western Europeans coming over and it seems from a sort of high level perspective that the Australian market is really interesting for a lot of people. And I think we've got a really good opportunity to capitalize on that. And as you say, accumulate that knowledge from all over the place and, you know, incorporate it into our systems and um, grow the industry as a whole, I think is a really great opportunity for us. Well, we, we have really amazing light levels here in Australia. So mm. what, what what we are able to produce in terms of um, again the kilos per square meter um, is really depending on the light input. Mm. So it's it's really a, a mathematical equation in terms of kilos more light versus kilos. Um, mm. The more light you have, the more you can produce. And now we measure again we we measure the light in order to to predict or in order to decide what how we're going to grow. When I was growing in Portugal, the the light levels on a very poor winter rainy day compared to a poor Australian winter day are mm. tremendously different. So um, again, it, it's fascinating to to see like the the differences, the opportunities here in Australia. It's um, I think sometimes we're well, I am sure I'm, I'm aware of it, but Australia is very lucky. Yeah. yeah. 
Thank you for your time today, Stefan. It's been great, really interesting, wide-ranging. I'm sure we'll be able to speak to you again. We will be able to see you up in the conference in July. Yeah, I bloody hope so. 17th <laughs> to the 20th of July in Brisbane, the Protected Cropping Conference. So looking forward to seeing you there and thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date on all the latest in Protected Cropping news.